Did you learn a new skill lately? How did it work for you? How can people form in-person support groups with other ADHD adults in their life? How do we manage evening routines when the medications have worn off? Any tips for managing emotions later in the day or evening when multiple family members have ADHD and everyone has a much shorter fuse than we would earlier in the day? ADHD Rewired episode 213. This is the show designed for those of us with really good intentions, but a slightly wandering attention. My name is Eric Tivers. I'm a licensed clinical social worker, coach, and speaker. The website is ADHDrewired.com. We know that starting is the hardest part, so let's get started. But first, let me tell you about this. This summer, we're doing something different with our coaching groups, and I'm going to tell you about it at the break. My aha is that when I declare what my one thing task is for the week to a group of people, I'm way more likely to stay focused on it and get it done as compared to A, not telling anybody, or B, just telling one person. A group seems to make a difference. And my aha is just like an evolving one that I'm still trying to learn, but just that whenever I'm struggling, whenever I'm feeling hopeless, whenever I'm behind or overwhelmed or unaccountable, whenever I'm numbing or withdrawing, that these are like good and natural. The the inner voice of wisdom, maybe even the voice of God uh, sort of telling me that something in me is hungering for a connection and that I need that. Yeah, this has been a good way to practice that. And my aha came yesterday when I was looking at a pile of old planners and think about how Eric's like, it's not about the tool. I'm like, well, those tools didn't work for me. And then a quote hit me in the brain, which was, if you meet an asshole in the morning, you met an asshole. But if you meet assholes all day, you're the asshole. And I was like, oh, those planners aren't working for me because I wasn't using them right. No matter how you say it, the discoveries you'll make in this group will change your life. Go to coachingrewired.com to learn more. And this summer, we're going to change things up a bit. We're going to do things a little bit differently. I'll tell you about it at the break. Go to coachingrewired.com to learn more. That's coachingrewired.com. If you're hearing this on Tuesday, April 10th, there are two live events today. First, our monthly live Q&A is today at 10.30 a.m. Pacific, 1.30 Eastern. Join me and Brendan Mahan, the host of our other podcast, ADHD Essentials. We'll be answering your questions live. We do this every second Tuesday of the month. You can register at ADHDrewired.com slash events. Our second event today is at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern. Come hang out with me and other patrons on Zoom. It's very informal and laid back. It's a great chance to meet other members of the community who support us on Patreon. The Zoom link will be posted for all of our Patreon supporters over at patreon.com slash ADHD Rewired. We are almost at 100 patrons. Last week, we hit our first big money goal. And thanks to all of you who support ADHD Rewired on Patreon, my editing and all the post-production and the show notes is now all listener supported. And we now officially have $10 a month going towards our coaching group scholarship fund. I want to thank all of our patrons, especially Sharon M and Jamie K, who became patrons this week. Come join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash ADHD Rewired. You'll get cool perks and you get to hang out with us and you get to support something that you care about. The website again is patreon.com slash ADHD Rewired. And thanks. Welcome back to another episode of ADHD Rewired. I am here once again with my friend and colleague, fellow podcaster, Brendan Mahan, and we are here to answer your questions for our monthly live Q&A. And we already have a handful of questions here. So uh, let's go ahead and dive right in to some of those questions. 
Brendan, do you want to uh, do you want to pick one of the bunch? Sure. Um, how about? Did you learn a new skill lately? Tell us about it. How did it work for you? I'm assuming how did the learning part of things work for you? Did I learn a new yeah. skill? That's a, that's a that's a unique question. I don't think I've been asked yeah. that quite. I like that. Um, you know, it's two things. I think um, one, it's one of these things that I think we all know is good to do, but it's in this bottle, water, right? So, you know, I I have always struggled with drinking enough water, right? And I don't know what it was that clicked because I mean I I have heard things about like if you if you don't have enough water if you're if you're in the frequent state of dehydration, and I'm sure like half people, if not more, listening right now, just grabbed their water and took a, sw- a swig, right? Um, that it makes our brain run at about thirty uh, percent less effective. So by making sure we are well hydrated, it really optimizes the way our brain functions. And I, over the last couple of weeks, I've been drinking a lot more water. And one of the things that that I noticed is that my typical sort of three p.m. sort of lull in the day where I kind of get a little bit foggy for a little bit and then I can pick back up. It doesn't, it's not happening because I'm drinking more water and I've been really like amazed by, I'm like, is this just because of the water? Like what's in this stuff? Um, (laughs) But yeah, so so there's that. There's one other one though that I think is even more um, uh, significant. And um, I mean, I don't know if it's a skill uh, per se, but it's more of a a realization um, that. So I was talking with uh, uh, Cassandra Tower um, about. So it was the end of February, and I was having a conversation with her, and I was just telling her my mood was kind of off. I was feeling like the um, just not. You know, we had those days where we're just foggy, and our mood's not great. Um, and she and you know we've been talking for a while, and she she reminded me that I had shared with her. That um, in the past, I've told you that, well, every March is typically when my seasonal affective disorder likes to, to show up. Um, and it's amazing that I like forget that it's a, it's a recurring visitor every year. Right. And so at this very first sign of feeling this, this uh, sort of mood coming in, she reminds me, so, well, it's almost March. That so would make sense that if you're feeling that way, because you said that you get, you know, you get this way every March. And I was like, Oh yeah, I can't tell you how many times I've said, "Oh yeah," to this seasonal affective disorder. Um, so I said, "Oh yeah," and so I just the knowledge of that helped me sort of curb, I think, that from getting worse. I and that was actually I think the trigger for me one drinking more water because I started increasing the intensity of my workouts um, and trying to go from uh, making sure I'm there at least three days a week to four days a week, and I've actually added weightlifting, which is not something I've done in a long time. I've feeling pretty good uh so that's i guess those are new new things that i've learned what about you brendan i'm gonna go with the podcasting because i mean that that was a pretty steep learning curve for me and i'm still learning stuff with it i'm not gonna pretend that i'm done with that but but the way it worked is and this kind of is true for me for most things is i try to start with people who already know what they're doing with it with whatever it is that I want to learn. I want to find people who already know um, and get some help from them. And I also, this was harder with the podcast, uh, with the podcasting than it's been with other things. But I also find that learning something new by way of effectively like children's instructional books. And let me explain what I mean by that. Cause it sounds weird. But, I, th- I think um, I knew you were going with this, but go ahead. Yeah. When I try to learn like a new subject, for example, like if I want to learn everything about World War One, I'm going to hit the kids section of the library or the kids section of the bookstore. And I'm going to get the books that are aimed at kids so I can get like a platform to build on, like the general ideas. And then I'll move on to the more complicated stuff. And in fact, when people ask me for what book to start with ADHD, I'm giving them books aimed at kids. Um, there's a red one called I think it's like the kid's guide to ADHD or something, or the kids and teens guide to ADHD, something like that. And that's the book I start everybody else off, everyone hmm. on. And then I tell them to move on to like Hallowell's work and all, all that kind of stuff. Okay. But let's get the bare bones. 
And with podcasting, the way that worked is I wound up using Instructables for editing. I wound up finding like online, super basic explanations on how to edit stuff. And that got me figuring out how to do the editing on the podcast in a way that was a little more straightforward. So for me, a lot of my learning comes from like, pretend I'm an idiot and teach me this because I actually am an idiot when it comes to this subject. That's why it's new to me. Like, forget the fact that I have two master's degrees and I'm a pretty bright guy. Like, treat me like a moron. And it works. <laughs> well, it's just it, the, the lack of knowledge, you know, so and then, any, any science classes that I ever took uh, in college um, like the biology, those kinds of things. I did the same exact thing as what you're describing. It's like, let me find the, the, the third grade biology lesson and let me find that with yeah. the nice pictures. And like, and that to me, that was really helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Do you want to pick the next one? Do you want me to pick the next one? Uh, you can go ahead and pick okay. it. All right. What do you or others know about guifenosine for Gu ADHD? Yeah, guanfacine. Guanfacine, guanfacine. Yeah, My otherwise, I know yeah, otherwise uh, <laughs> that's what Brendan knows. So he needs to do the first grade book on, on uh, guanfacine, <laughs> right? All right, so guanfacine or, uh, or uh, Intuitive uh, is the, the name brand uh, of that. It was originally prescribed as a heart rate medicine, um, or blood pressure medicine. Um, it's a non-stimulant form of, of ADHD medication. Um, you know, what we, what we see with, uh, with guanfacine is that it just mostly it doesn't work as well. What we do see is that, um, you know, so as far as prescribing goes, doctors should start with stimulants, right? So you first try the methylphenidate uh, um, or the amphetamine class of stimulant. It really doesn't matter which one you start with, but if you start off with one class of stimulant and it doesn't, you don't get a good treatment response to it, go to the other class of stimulant, right? And there's no way to really predict what will respond well. So it's, I mean, it's, it is, it's statistically powerful trial and error. So, and I want to sort of add that statistically powerful aspect to it because it's not just trial and error. Like we, we have a sort of rhythm, a protocol that what we know can be effective. So for people with, where guanfacine does tend to work, it tends to work with um, as a uh, combined pharmacological therapy. So basically, along with a stimulant medication, we know that stimulants don't work for everyone, right? Um, so it's not. I wouldn't begin with a non-stimulant medication, right? And don't be afraid of starting with a non-stimulant medication just because it's a stimulant. Like that, you know these these are all. I mean, all of these these medications do different things to our bodies and brains, right? We have the most amount of information about what the stimulant medication does. Um, so that's kind of what I know. I mean, it's, um, but from both anecdotal and what the research shows, it, the, the non-stimulants are, um, are not what you begin with, uh, primarily because it just tends to not be as effective. Cool. All right. Next question is from Elise. What about resistance to recommended strategies? I find some recommendations which require strict structures really annoying. Is this common? Yes, it is. Um, I don't, I tend to shy away from the strategies that require strict structures mm -hmm. because you're going to mess up because you have ADHD and because you're a person and that's what people do. Um, and oftentimes when you mess up, you get, you, like that breeds guilt and maybe shame, and then you don't want to do it anymore. So build in some wiggle room, build in some forgiveness around your strategies. Um, and if that means you're avoiding the ones that require a huge amount of structure and complications, then avoid those and go with the stuff that's a little more straightforward. Yeah, I mean, I think that with any anything you're trying to do in your life, it's trial and error, right? It's right. You, you take what you like, and you leave the rest, right? Um, you know, often in my coaching groups, people are, are asking me for a very sort of prescriptive formula and I won't give it to them, right? Because it's like, that's not gonna, it's not gonna help, right? Me telling you exactly what to do is not gonna help. Me providing a, a structure and a framework that gives you opportunity to explore and experiment, that's gonna help you discover what's gonna work for you. Because what, what works for me might not work for you. Right. What works for you might not work for me. 
you know, and there are things where I'll suggest I wouldn't recommend doing this. And then someone will respond, well, that's been working for me for a long time. Then I said, then forget what I just said. Then keep doing what you're doing. Right. So it's yeah. like, I think we are, we are all unique. I think that there are certain uh, um, things that are important for, for people with ADHD to be doing. You know, I think that it's important that we're using a calendar, a to-do list that we're looking at it regularly how like the, the nuances of those things like th- that's what you got to explore that's what you got to be a little bit creative um about because uh, i yeah because i think that also a lot of us have uh um even if it's not a full like a full scale oppositional uh tendency or disorder like you know it's kind of this idea of you know don't tell me what to do like you know it's it's we like to figure out our own path in a lot of ways right and and not only just that, but sometimes when you have a, a strategy that's really complex or really strict, it might not be that strategy that you like. It might be something within the strategy. There might be some element of it that's tapping you and making you go, this is cool, but you're not sure what it is. And I, a, a good example of that for me is I went to, this is before I was diagnosed with ADHD. I was in like my early to mid 20s, I think. I went to... A, like get organized in one day seminar thing. And the guy was talking about a tickler file, which is super complicated and awful. I've tried Um, that twice. Failed both times. (laughs) Well, the reason that it felt so compelling and great to me was while he was describing it, he had his files in a milk carton, like a milk crate thing, you know, like hanging files in a milk crate because he had to bring it as a demonstration tool. So he's kind of poking his fingers in it and getting to all of his files really easy. And I was like, this thing is amazing. Like a tickler file is brilliant, but that's not what was brilliant about it. What was brilliant about it was the milk crate and the fact <laughs> that it didn't close and you could get to it stuff really easy. Yeah. It had nothing to do with the way the guy had organized the stuff in the milk crate. It had everything to do with the milk crate. Well, it's it the, took me 10 years to figure that out. It's, it's the Osome principle, you know, out of, out of sight, out of mind. Right. Yeah. But a milk crate never closes. So it's always in mind. Right. All right. Uh, let's, let's see. Uh, let's go to another question. Let's go to Jessica's question. Any tips for managing emotions later in the day or evening when multiple family members have ADHD, including a preschooler and everyone has a much shorter fuse than we, uh, than we would earlier in the day? So let me start with this one. Okay. So, uh, so this morning I was, uh, you know, having my, my coffee. Um, my, my son was, uh, around me playing with, with some stuff and I was asking him to get dressed and, um, his response to meet that request was, um, not really what I was looking for. And, um, <laughs> you know, and I found myself get, using a more firm, frustrated voice. And then I was saying, you know, I'm going to ask you one more time. You can either earn a star or lose a star. It's your choice. All right. And then he sort of scowled, <laughs> scowled at me and I said, okay, before we do anything else, I need to take a deep breath. And I'm going to suggest that you do the same. Right. And now he didn't, but I did. Right. And I, and I took a couple deep breaths and you know, it's like this, this silly thing around, you know, uh, now just pause and breathe. It's really not that silly. Like it, it actually really is very helpful. Um, and I think the, especially when we're dealing with, with kids who, you know, are, are struggling in the kid form of, of what we're struggling with in adult form, right. We're, we're then modeling, we're modeling how to sort of, we're recognizing that, okay, my, my response was scaled up a little bit too much. I'm going to try to bring it back down. Right. And if you feel like you're beyond that point, I think you're way better off walking out of the room than you are saying something that is hard to take back. And then you have this toxic, you know, environment of yelling at home, Um, you know, but it's hard. And I think one of the important things too, is to, to talk about solutions, talk about strategies, not when you're, we're in the heat of things, but when, you know, when things are calm and things are good, you know, bring up, you know, it seems like we are struggling here with, uh, um, with the emotional self-regulation piece. And let's explore some strategies, right? So uh, for, for listeners who didn't see this on the podcast, my camera shut off and I sustained my thought, my, my sentence while turning it back on. And I just have to say <laughs> that is a win. <laughs> nice. Um, and 
a few things on on managing emotions at the end of the day that I'd like to throw out there because yeah, I mean the work I do with families is at the end of the day, right? <laughs> so I do I navigate this particular challenge a lot. Um, one is manage your emotions earlier in the day. Like you can manage your later day emotions earlier by having a snack, by taking a break at work when it's realistic and feasible to do that. Like take a walk at lunch or just sit quietly for five minutes if you can, get some of that mindfulness stuff going on if possible. Um, give the kids a snack when you get home. Figure out what the pattern is at the end of the day, right? Like, and which one leads to crankiness and, and emotions that are hard and which ones don't. And that doesn't mean you're going to avoid the ones that lead to grumpy emotions. It just means you'll know in advance that they're coming and you might be able to control it a little better, right? Like get cranky at the end of the day when everybody wants to talk to me at the same time, right? Like when my wife is trying to share with me something about her day that was stressful and I know I need to listen to that because that's going to help us at seven o'clock. So I should listen to this particular conversation at five o'clock right now. But at the same time, my kids want to show me something that they made in school or they found in their closet or whatever it may be. And it's never both of them showing me the same thing. It's each kid has something else. And now there's three people who all want my attention. And I'm like, I can't. This is not a thing <laughs> I can do. I only have a half of an attention. I can't give it to three different people. So I have to sort of clearly communicate with everybody like and almost make a line. Right. OK, guys, I need to listen to mom. And then I'll get to the two of you. What are you doing? Like, what are you going to show me? And I say that so they feel validated, right? Mm. Mom knows that I'm going to listen to her. And the boys know I'm going to listen to them. And everybody knows what order it's going to come in, right? Yeah. And sometimes I'll even say, all right, guys, I'm going to listen to you. But first, I have to listen to mom because what she's, she's already been telling me a story for three minutes. So she beat you to it. Sorry. But I do want to find out what's going on. What do you guys have? Okay, awesome. Now you guys need to figure out who's telling me first. And then I go over, I talk to my wife and now they're at least marginally occupied with deciding who's going to go first. Mm -hmm. So that's helpful. Also, not right now because there's a foot of snow outside, but taking a walk is really nice. Like as a family, just doing something as a family that is fairly tame, taking a walk is a good example, can help get everybody sort of in the same tier emotionally. And another thing is a phrase that I use that I don't know if I've shared this on this pod on the podcast or not. But my go-to phrase for when I'm about to lose my whole entire mind is, oh my God, you're bugging me. And it's a phrase I started using as a teacher, right? Because I can't say or think that phrase in a way that is aggressive or angry. Like it's just not a phrase that comes out that way. So it literally is my go-to phrase for when I'm overwhelmed. It's like, oh my God, you're bugging me. And it comes out much more muted than it might otherwise. Mm -hmm. And it also reminds me that I'm being bugged. Like something is bugging me. Yeah. So it sort of names the scenario as well. And it diffuses me significantly. Yeah. Uh, a weekend or two ago, I was uh, um, playing with my son and I was getting frustrated. And um, uh, my wife was there and she, she could sort of see my, my frustration. And I said, can I just have five minutes? And mm -hmm. so I, I went up to my room and I meditated for five minutes and I came down and I was ready to play again. Like I was, I was like, all right, let me, I, I can meet him where, where he's at. Like he has these sort of ideas in his mind of what he wants to do. And they're, you know, they're, they're interesting ideas, <laughs> putting it kindly. And, uh, you know, but it's cause sometimes, you know, it's like, it can be exhausting. And so we have to sort of really look at not just how to be, reactive in a more effective way but how can we also be proactive and so that's you know the importance of sleep like my wife always knows she's like did you go to bed late last night when, when my when my patience is is not as good as it, it could be mm -hmm. and she's always right she's like I'm like, yeah she's like i can tell like all right i'll go to bed earlier tonight yep we yeah. have a follow-up okay from from david uh who says related to the previous question, how do we manage evening routines when the medications have worn off? Mm -hmm. And so one way to do that is to figure out, like plan your, more, plan your evening routine earlier in the day, like, figure out what it's going to be and commit to it. So dinner, like if it goes, let's pretend there's kids, 
Um, if it's going to go like dinner, then homework, then uh, I don't know, some family time of some nature and then get ready for bed. Mm -hmm. then that's the sequence. And it might not always be at the same time because stuff happens, but try to keep the sequence the same. Mm -hmm. um, also, you can always take a extra dose, not of your medication, but you can talk to your doctor and get a little supplement to the medication that re-ups it mm -hmm. um, in the late afternoon. That's a choice. And also uh, be forgiving, right? Like just, it's okay if the evening routine isn't that great. If you're married, tag in your partner, you know, like I'm tapping, I can't do anything right now. Can you, can you figure out dinner? Even though I was get, like, can you guys either wait a half an hour or someone else do it? Cause I'm done. Right. And, and you know, so I, looking at like, what are this, I would want to know what the specific challenges are within that routine, right? Because how the, the strategies around that may be very different. Um, you know, one of the things that often uh, that, that helps me is having sort of anchor points, like knowing sort of where, what I need to be doing by a specific time in order to kind of be in bed on time. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I know that I need to be heading upstairs before 10 o'clock um, in order for me to, to have a chance of having my lights out by 11. Right. Because <laughs> um, I know it's like, oh, if I want to go to bed by, say, 1030, like that doesn't mean I can go upstairs at 1025. Like that's not going to work. Right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, one of the things that I've also been doing that's been uh, uh, helpful um, is I'll just put on my dry erase board, um, especially when I have a big day the next day, then it, that's really critical that I get a, a good night's sleep. Um, what time I want to leave by. So I'll write it when I get into the office in the morning um, and then I'm seeing it all, all day long. So it's just sort of those, those cues. So having some of those anchor points that may be helpful. Also, another thing that's in here that's kind of hiding in here that I want to call out because I yeah. didn't really... Um, is the importance of connection in that evening routine, right? Mm. Like my first example was talking to my wife because she needs to listen. She needs me to listen to her to help her kind of get squared away. And talking to my boys because they are seeing dad and mom for the first time since school is over. Evening is a time to reconnect if you're looking at a family or just if you're married to someone, as long as you're not living alone, even if you have a roommate. Evening is a time when we start to reconnect with the people in our lives because everyone's back from work, they're back from school and all that stuff. So turn towards each other in the evening. Make, make sure that you're connecting with the people in your house or your apartment who matter mm -hmm. and that you're doing it from a place of love and support even when you're frustrated. Like when I'm having a day and I don't want to talk to anybody, but I have to because now there's three more people in my house. It really helps me to be like, no, 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 I love them. Like I love you and I want to listen and I love you and I want to listen and I love you and I want to listen. Mm. And I'm doing this because I love you and I want you to have a better day and I want me to have a better day. And you're talking to me because you love me and because you value my awareness of whatever's going on for you. And so sometimes I have to go there. I have to consciously think those thoughts in order to stem the tide of frustration because I really just want to go finish those two emails that I didn't get to or whatever, whatever the case may be. Like that, that stuff can wait. It's time to reconnect. Well, connection also, you know is a huge piece of, of shame resiliency. You know, it's, it's when you share the thing that you're kind of feeling like, oh, I don't want anyone to know about this. I'm just like, I, I just want to be alone. Like, and we, if we can push through that and share that struggle with someone who we know is going to respond in an empathetic way, um, it's powerful. I mean, it really, really is. I think that's, I think that's why group works, right? Is, is because we get it and when we share the struggle, um, you know, you, you know, you're going to be met with understanding and, and sharing that takes a lot of the power out of the struggle. Right. Agree. Yeah. So, um, what I want to do really quickly is take a quick break. And then when we come back, we are going to answer some more questions. So we will be right back. This summer, ADHD rewired is turning up the heat on our coaching and accountability groups. We're trying something a little different. This summer, I'll be hosting our first ever eight-week summer coaching and accountability group intensive with the theme of one big thing. 
Do you have one thing you know you want to work on? Is there one specific project you want to take on? Do you want to build a routine around one area of your life? Do you have one habit you want to create because you know it will have a big impact on all the other areas of your life? As Gary Keller and Jay Pavisan ask in their book, The One Thing, what is the one thing you could do such by doing it would make everything else easier or unnecessary? Unlike our typical coaching groups, we're going to focus intensely on helping you achieve one goal or develop one habit. We're gonna help you achieve one big thing. What your one big thing is, is up to you. It can be to build a website, to write a book, to start a podcast, to clean out your basement or your garage, to build a deck, to sell your house, to achieve a fitness goal, to improve your sleep hygiene, to develop a better morning routine, to create more art and take more pictures, to play more music, to finish your dissertation, to spend more time with your partner or your kids. Or maybe you finally want to get serious about starting that business. Join us July 7th through August 31st. There will only be two sections this summer, so these groups will fill up quickly. To find out how and when you can register, go to coachingrewired.com. And if by chance I haven't updated the website yet, check back in about a week. The website again is coachingrewired.com. Through doing this group, I have learned so much more about myself than I could have ever imagined. I realized that I'm not doomed to repeat past mistakes. I discovered that I have the power to choose differently now. I've changed by becoming more aware of my time and my tendencies, and I've learned I can do hard things. The website again is coachingrewired.com. And we are back. Let's uh, let's dive into our next question. Let's maybe uh, let's feel something that is maybe a little different than some of the questions that we've uh, fielded in the first half, which was sort of about emotional self-regulation uh, at home. Mm-hmm. All right, let's see. Uh, Rob asked, uh, says, "Hey guys, Arc Eight alumni. Hey Rob." Occasionally, I meet other adults that are open about having ADHD, and it feels great to talk with them in an open and honest way, as there is a feeling of being free of the usual shame of struggling with things that the average person I interact with does not have or understand. My question is, how can people form in-person support groups with other ADHD adults in their life? Thanks. All right. Great question, Rob. You know, there are two organizations, uh, Chad and Ada, um, that both have resources to help people uh, form organizations, uh, form support groups if there is not currently a group that meets in your area. You can also use a site like meetup.com to create a uh, in-person support group. Um, and there is a there's a small fee to meetup, but I know they also now have a feature where you can actually ask your, your members on meetup to contribute to the, the fee. It makes it really easy to do that. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's, you know, outside of online connection, um, you know, and as amazing as online connection uh, can be, especially with technologies like zoom, where you can really see each other. I would agree that there, there is something about being able to, you know, give that person that you saw last month, a hug, you know, and that, there's that real connection there. So, um, I, I know that Chad does have a whole resource manual on how to start a chapter. So if you go to their website, user search function, because it is a little bit tricky to navigate their website. It's not the most ADHD friendly website for the largest ADHD support organization in the world. I know it's <laughs> it's ironic, but it is what it is. So user search function, it works pretty well. Yeah, I, I just will echo that. Um, in particular, I would start with a meetup, to be honest, just to see if there's enough people in the area to even talk to Chad and Ada. Um, but then again, if there aren't enough people, you can talk to Chad and Ada and maybe they know of others and they can help you build the, build a, a bigger group. Um, that said, it's people who have ADHD that you're looking to get together with. So recognize that and be forgiving when the first week there's like 178 people there and the second week there's three. Because that's a thing that happens. <laughs> yeah, and, and not to get discouraged. And it's, it's right. I used to facilitate a, a chat group. I took over for one that was kind of 
flailing and then helped uh, start another one. Then that became just too much of a commitment. So I merged the two into one. Um, and I've, I've, in the last year, I've handed that off to uh, uh, two colleagues of mine. Um, but yeah, it, it takes consistency. And there's, we go through periods where we have really had really good turnouts. And we went through periods where there was only a handful of people showing up. Um, so just try not, not to get discouraged. Um, and uh, we did find that having uh, speakers and uh, topics drew more people in. Um, mm-hmm. but you may want to try to switch off, uh, from a speaker topic discussion to uh, more of a support discussion or schedule your meetings so you can make time for both. Yeah. And also pay attention. Like if you get wind up going for a little while, pay attention to what kind of natural rhythms happen. You know, maybe people fall off in the summer or in the winter and they come back in the fall or the spring. I mean, that takes a while. You're, I'm now committing you to like two years to recognize that pattern, but but be, pay attention to those kinds of things. And maybe there's reasons people aren't showing up. Yeah. So um, Carmen asked a question that I think we should finally get around to. It's about procrastination. Do we ha- Can't we do this one later? Okay. Um, so I'll say Elise asked a question. I don't feel like it. <laughs> now, will we actually come back to it? That's going to be the, <laughs> we should win a prize if we actually remember to come back to it. <laughs> What? And you're like, you're really moving on? Like, yeah, why not? Why not? Um, <laughs> what I mean is that I find the ability to be flex. Oh, I think this is a follow-up question to something else. So yeah, it's like right, half yeah. a question. And I'm like, I have to put together a piece of this puzzle. You know, I think I'm going to come back to the procrastination question. Um, right, wait, hold on, hold on. Is this common? Well, because I don't want to do procrastination right now. Um, <laughs> is, this, is this common? As it delves into discover and rid dysfunctional defense mechanisms and habits, I seem to go backwards until I can replace the negative habits with positive habits. Is that common? Do you want to go live to clarify the question or do you, so if, if you want to go live, whoever asked this question, just put it in the, the Q and a say go live. Um, but Brendan, go ahead as you were saying. Um, to me, I'm, I'm metaphoring this cause that's what I do. Um, metaphoring as a verb. I like it. Yeah. To me, this is like when you clean out a room. You know what I mean? Like you got a room that's a mess. And then as you're cleaning the room, you just make a bigger mess because the mess spreads from the one room to now two rooms, probably. And now you know, are no longer interested in doing it. But yeah, but let's pretend we stuck through it. <laughs> okay. And, and eventually like everything is cleaned up, but you have to sometimes make a bigger mess to get rid of or a more spread out mess, maybe. You have to spread the mess around a little bit to get rid of it. To me, this is sort of the psychological equivalent of that, right? Like you start to recognize your bad habits and your defense mechanisms. And when you recognize them for a little while, because you're seeing them, you kind of lean into them and do them a little more. But then it gets frustrating. And then eventually you kind of break out of it and move into something else Mm -hmm. that is hopefully healthier. There's a, a good book, um, forget his first name, Duhigg, uh, The Power of Habit, where he talks about like there really is no like undoing habits. Those will always be there. Um, what you have to do is chain new behaviors on top of the old behaviors to, to help replace them. Um, right. so, in, so and anytime you're trying to, to start a new, uh, new behavior, focus on the behavior and not the habit. Because I think where people get frustrated is that they're trying to build these habits and if we really sort of think about what a habit is, it's an automated process in a sense where we don't really have to think about it so much. We don't have to really tap into those executive functions as much, which is like, doesn't that sound great? Like getting to do stuff that we don't really have to tax our executive functions. That is the, the reward in a sense of repeated behaviors, right? It's also the consequence of repeated behaviors, right? Because depending on if it's a desirable or non-desirable uh, behavior, um, so thinking about uh, chaining a new thing to an old thing and just, and you also maybe setting up cues for yourself. If you know you have a tendency to backslide on something, you know, put cues in your calendar, maybe uh, two weeks after you start this thing, then if you're making progress on it, do it in a month. And, and the cue can just be a question like, Hey, are you doing this thing that you started doing last month? You know, it's, it's, that's something that I have been doing over the last several years. And it's really, really helpful. It, it has caught me from backsliding on, on a number of things, um, on a number of different occasions. It's sort of those, awesome. those little, those little love notes to our future self that we put in our calendar. 
Um, all right. So procrastination. I guess. <laughs> um. <laughs> I, th- I think we uh, we took this joke too far. I don't know. Let's just let's, let's answer the question. Um, I mean, yeah. So it's the question is can can you discuss procrastination? I just put something off for so long that it just really costs me. Mm-hmm. Some of that is love notes to your future self, like you just mentioned, right? Like you can write a note to yourself. Hey, they did thing. Or where, where, do we, where do you stand with, I don't know, filing your taxes or whatever the case may be, which by the way, April 15th, it's March 13th. You have a month and two days. So get on that. And if, and if you're listening uh-uh. to this on the podcast, um, it, what, it's, it's due next week. Yeah. So get moving. <laughs> <laughs> um, some of it's that. Some of um, also, I mean, so much of procrastination is emotional. So much of it is emotional that you have to recognize it. You have to see, like, it's, it's the wall of awful. It's, there is so much guilt and shame wrapped up in the fact that I haven't done this thing that I need to do that now even thinking about that thing causes me anxiety. And anxiety is a really uncomfortable emotion, and I want to avoid that. So I'm going to go watch The Good Place instead of doing the thing that I need to do. And the problem with that behavior is now you just rewarded your brain for a maladaptive behavior because right. now your anxiety decreases. So next time you're in that situation, you're, you're gonna, your brain's going to send you those signals that make you feel anxious again because it knows how to feel better. It's to go binge on that TV show instead of doing the, the important work that you need to do. Right. Right. I do think too that, that, um, you know, yes, there can be a lot of emotional aspects to procrastination, but I also think that there's a lot of areas of procrastination where it's, it's not that it's emotional. It's that the, the task at hand is actually not clear enough. And there's not a recognition that the task is not clear. Right. Mm-hmm. So we have those, those items that have been on our, our to-do list for a long time and, and we think we know what we need to do because we wrote it. And at the time when we wrote it, we knew what we had to do. So we keep seeing this, this task, but it's something like, um, you know, look into the car problem. Right. right. And like, we think we know what that means, but then if we sort of um, take a step back, so we, what, what did that mean? Wait, what, what car problem? Like, how do I, how do I do that? Yeah. Right. I'm going to push back a little bit and say that's still emotional though. Because that lack of clarity is causing me to feel anxious. About sure, sure, sure. But I, but I think, but from a strategic standpoint, there's one area where you're dealing with the emotional aspect of leaning into the, the anxiety and overwhelm. So, so you can sort of rewire your brain to not respond to those signals of anxiety and overwhelm, right? right. Sort of pause and sit with it until the anxiety comes down. The other is a more of a strategic uh, approach to it where you're actually looking at, all right, this item on my to-do list is causing the overwhelm. So how can I tackle the item on my to-do list and, and restructure it so it feels less overwhelming, right? right? The, the other piece of that too is, you know, and I talk about this a lot in my coaching groups, is this idea of when you have this item that you keep pushing forward, pushing forward, pushing forward, we've all had that item. I had those items, right? Set a date or set it free, Right. Just because it's been on your to-do list does not mean you have to actually do it, right? If it's no longer relevant, get rid of it. Like stop right. carrying around the, the burden of this task that you haven't done. Because if it's at the time, it might have been relevant. But what happens is life happens and things take care of themselves and it's okay. It's okay to, to get things off your task list that you didn't do. If recognize you're not going to do it. If it's really that relevant or important, it'll probably pop back up. Yeah. Okay. I also want to recommend a podcast uh, that focuses specifically on procrastination. It's called the I Procrastinate Podcast. Um, it's uh, the, uh, um, oh, no, I'm totally blanking on the guy's name. He's a, prof- he's a, a research professor um, and all he focuses on is procrastination and not, not ADHD stuff. Like it's just the human, like the, the behavioral trait of procrastination. This is all he studies. So, and there's also a term that I learned from him called sleep procrastination. And I heard, I'm like, that's a thing. That's what I do. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. And and another thing you can do, if you recognize, like if you're getting burned by your procrastination, right? Mm -hmm. It might fall into some categories. There might be some certain areas that you consistently procrastinate on 
figure out what they are and come up with a new way to attack them. Right. Like if you, if it's just straightforward, I just never clean my house. Like I'm just really bad at that. Can you hire someone to come in and clean your house? Or can you invite people over more often? Because when people come over, you actually clean your house. It is such a good mechanism for, yep. Right. Like it's amazing. It's, it's like this, this magic thing that happens that as soon as people are going to be in the space that like you're in all the time, you suddenly start seeing things that are like, has that pile been there this whole time? I haven't noticed it in so long until you're like, Oh, now somebody else is going to be seeing it. So now you have that perspective taking. It's one of the yep. best strategies for, for doing a, a big cleaning push. Yeah. It's awesome. All right. So assertiveness techniques. Would you give us some examples? I struggle a lot on being assertive. Um, I was at a networking event. Bear, I recognize you already have to have a certain level of assertiveness to do a, go to a networking event. But I was there and, and you know when you're in a, with a group of people and the folks just kind of naturally form a circle when they're talking to each other and it's really hard to get into that circle because you just feel walled off because everyone has their back to you. It's easy. All you have to do is touch someone lightly on the shoulder and they will open out towards you because you've touched them and then say whatever you need to say to get into the conversation and step gently into that door that just opened. The circle will expand and now you're in that circle. So that's one sort of social area where assertiveness, it doesn't have to be super intense. It can be as soft as gently tapping someone on the, touching someone on the shoulder and adding to whatever they said. And then everyone expands to let you in. Yeah. You know, other examples are in that there's, there's some of the words that we use, you know, we have things like the the I statements that, that often hear about in sort of basic uh, sort of therapy um, uh, uh, and and communication practices. You know, the, I feel, you know, this when this happens. So, um, you know, I, w- I was asking Brendan to, to put something in his, in his podcast. And, you know, so I think he said something to me like, I feel frustrated when you give this th- to me at the last minute. Could we have a conversation about how, right. how we're doing that? Like that's, that's assertiveness, right? Yeah. It's like, he's not saying what the hell's wrong with you. You know, you can't give this to me at the last minute. Like, even though he might've been thinking that. Um, but what he said to me was more of like, Here's how I'm feeling. Here, I'm identifying the problem. He's not accusing me of anything, right? Yeah. I'm just stating the objective issue. And then it's, it's an invitation to explore the problem. So I'm wondering if, or I, you know, you could even say, you know, what I really need for, for you to do is this. Would that be possible? Could you do that? Right. Yeah. So, um, uh, so I hope that that helps. Next question. Marilas, you frequently talk on the podcast about turning off notifications. Does that apply to calendar notifications? I would say it depends. Um, you know, it's, I mean, so much of the stuff that, that we're talking about with productivity, it always depends, right? If, if your work is um, uh, you're sitting at a, a computer most of the day, um, I think that having calendar notifications on is like can be very distracting um but if you have one that's going to alert you to a queue that you need to it's time to go or something like that then i think that can be okay um i have a a a program that i use um i'm I'm on a mac uh it's a little program called uh next appointment and so what it does is it um it reads your it reads your google calendar or your ical and it will uh sit in the sort of the, the top part of your computer where you have some of those other icons where the clock is and it will tell you what your next appointment is and how many minutes it is. So I, I find that to be very helpful. So it's not disruptive. It's, it's there so I can check to make sure that, that I'm following my, my stuff. But if you're somebody who like, totally gets into hyper-focus and doesn't even see that, then maybe having an alert around that transition time um, would be helpful for you. I just think it's important to not have random um, uh, uh, notifications disrupting you. Like I, as I'm thinking a lot, I'm a verbal processor. So as I'm thinking out loud uh, through this um, and trying to fix my camera and hold the thought at the same time, which I think I did, if I can come back to it, we'll find out right now. So having your own notifications 
to alert you. I think that's okay. Having other people's notifications, text messages, Facebook messages, email, like shut that shit off. I mean, it is like, do it on your terms, right? Right. Um, That's where I was going to go is I was going to say, depending on how much control you have over your calendar, you may or may not need to turn them off. Like if if you pretty much control what what your calendar is going to have and what the notifications are going to be then there's no reason to turn it off because you can just decide not to have that alert show up, you know? Right. But I also think there's, there's um, but not to completely count on the, the calendar reminder, to really try to get into the habit of reviewing your calendar, you know, four to five times a day and keep checking in with, with your calendar. Start your day with, a, with you know, your, your planning, your updating, your reviewing your calendar, um, and at those transition points, you know, like after a meeting, um, maybe before or after lunch, uh, you know, so you're, you keep checking in. I mean, I can't tell you how many times we're all, you know, I've checked my calendar five times already uh, today. And then I get involved in doing something. And then I have this, this, oh shit moment. Cause I totally forgot about the thing that I've looked at my calendar already, but because I w- I'm so in the moment, right. When I'm doing my work that it was easy to, to forget, um, yeah. you know, and if possible, like one of the things that I try to do is have my calendar open on one of my screens at all times. Mm-hmm. And another thing that a habit that I, I've almost got this nailed, it's not perfect, but it, I'm like not 85, 90% of the way there is I don't say yes and no to anything anymore. I say, let me check my calendar. Good. And, good. and that forces me to look at my calendar yet again to find out whether or not I can do the thing. Um, and every now and then I'm like, no, I definitely know I can do that. Like it's a Saturday and Saturdays are not days that get slammed with schedules. It's usually, I know all day long. Except for that one thing that your wife added to your calendar. And now right. you're <laughs> right now nah, she tells me, <laughs> but I try to say like, I don't know. Let me check my calendar. Yeah. And that's, that's a really good rule to go by. And if you, if you are a person that tends to, to uh, say yes to, to things, switch it. Say no to everything and then check your calendar and then reach out to the person and say, you know, oh, you know, I actually, I, I was able to move something around and it turns out I can do that. When I know how things work, I learn back to learning. When I know how things work, I learn faster and am more motivated. So I want to deeply understand the science of what's going on in my ADHD brain versus neurotypical brains. Do you recommend any courses, books, or videos that go into depth about the neuroanatomy involved, but that are more engaging than academic research papers? So, okay, it depends how um, how nerdy you want to get. Yeah, Russell Barkley's got some good stuff. Yeah, Russell Barkley's a ton of free stuff on on YouTube um, that I think is is really good and engaging. Um, you know, there's also, um, it's more for professionals, but there is a newsletter called the ADHD Report, um, yep. which uh, usually has one or two sort of feature articles. And then it has a bunch of summaries of, of uh, research that's in press. And it's like, I mean, 250 word summaries, which is great, right? Um, and, and it's really cutting edge stuff. So it, it's, it's not like you have to keep up with every single piece of research to stay on top of it. But I, I, understand too is like the importance of understanding the why the other thing that i would suggest is adhd conferences um because it's engaging you're connecting you get to hear the the people talking see the slides there's so much that you can learn from going to a conference and i know that uh this year's chad conference is in st louis it's november i think around november 10th around that weekend you can check their their website it's chadd.org um another thing you can go to is called learning and the brain which is not ADHD specific, but it's going to get into a lot of sort of neuroanatomy brain stuff and how we learn and, and that'll play with some of the concepts, even though it's more neurotypical than ADHD focused. But again, go into learning disabilities. So who knows what'll happen. Understood.org. Is there also another yep. really good website? Yep. All right. And, uh, and the other, uh, as far as videos, um, if you don't know uh, Jessica McCabe's How to ADHD channel, um, definitely check that out. I mean, that's probably one of the yeah. most ADHD friendly uh, YouTube resources out there. Um, you know, she, and she spends a lot of time researching. I mean, she's her background. She's an actress with ADHD, right? Oh, cool. And um, so she's she has a, a, a people who are helping her with the research. She and she spends a ton. These episodes are about ten minutes long. She spends a ton of time researching every episode. 
Um, so mm. it's it's really really good stuff. And and she, uh, she'll reach out to me sometimes to be like, so I'm hearing about this thing. What do you think about this? So she's really double checking the work that she's putting out there because it, it's it's very accessible uh, information. It is. All right, we got time for a couple more here. Sure. Um, I'm trying to skim this one. It's a little long. I'm trying to get something shorter. Uh, I'll just read the whole thing. Hey, guys, (laughs) just wanted to throw this out there. I know you've touched on it in the past, but do you have any tips or thoughts on folks with ADHD finding themselves in difficult financial situations? Mm -hmm. I was diagnosed later in life at about 30 or so, and the last three years post-diagnosis have been great in a lot of ways, but tackling my financial demons, student loans, budgeting, planning, general executive functioning is as hard as ever. I have heard good things about David Ramsey's uh, money management programs um, from, from people with ADHD. I've listened to, I think, two of his books, but I have not taken his program, so I can't say from my personal experience. Um, but I think that the thing that's nice about what his, what his approach is, it's very concrete and specific. Um, and I, I got someone in the chat wrote David Ramsey with five pluses, so I guess that's a, a big thumbs up. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, you know, money management, when we really think about why it's so challenging, it involves so many executive functions, right? Um, and, tap, you know, we have to be using some math skills. And, um, and, I, and I know I don't speak for everybody, but I don't math so well. Um, you know, so, you know, it, it's, it's, oh, and I should know how to do this. So all those shitty thoughts that we have about, you know, as an adult, I should know how to do this, right? Um, and it's not fun, right? It's 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 complex, and you know, and I think the older we get, uh, the more complex uh, money management gets. So I would, you know, I guess my suggestion is start with with finding some courses, um, and even though the challenge is like you know financial management, maybe finding someone that you can work with, and yes, pay to help you get your finances in order, right? It's sort of the idea, it's, it's your invest and invest the dollar to save $10, right? Like you got to invest a dollar though to save the $10, right? Um, does that make sense? That does. Okay. Yeah. You get this look on your face of like you compounding interest or continue to add a dollar and eventually you get 10, one or the other. You said, com- sure you said compound doing. interest and my brain went wah, 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 wah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, now compounding interest is a great concept though. Sure. Oh, absolutely. No, and, it's, and it's, it, Cause it doesn't just apply to, to money. It applies to like it's true. All kinds it's very true. It, once you have come the, once you have that idea nailed down, mm-hmm. it's super handy as a concept. And the, the basic idea of it is like, let's say I put a hundred dollars in the bank and I'm going to get 1% interest ba- or tell us make it 10% to make my numbers work better. I'm going to get 10% back every month right the first month i have a hundred dollars in the bank the second month i have 110 right now i have the week the month after that i'm going to have 121 dollars because i didn't get 10 percent right. of 100 i got 10 percent of right. 110 which is 11 so the first month i got 10 bucks more the second month i got 11 bucks more and the month after that i'm going to get 21 dollars more because now i have 121 dollars in the bank and it yep. just gets yep. the, the the interest, the money you get from the interest gets better and better. But the same thing happens with time and with effort. There's all sorts of things that right. work that way. And with long-term planning, and we're talking really long-term planning, right? The, the compound, uh, the, the impact of compound interest is amazing. Like you can just Google compound interest calculator and you can find things uh, that will show you, um, you know, if you invest, say, uh, $300 a month at whatever your age is, and you, if you want to retire by a, you know, a certain age, it will tell you like how much based on projected uh, market growth you could be earning. And it's, it's really profound. Uh, so, you know, one of the, the, the things that my, my, my dad was in uh, financial planning, and he always told me, get in early, you know, put in as much in the, the like uh, mutual funds and, and, that you can and, and utilize that compounding effect. Um, and I remember he had this cool old, like it was like this, this, it was like a, um, not a slide rule. It was a, like a, one of these like cardboard things that had this chart that you move the thing inside the cardboard and it will show you like the years and the growth. And 
like I remember that like wow like if you put in this much early on like it's amazing how much you have by the time you're you know in retirement age as a country as 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 a society too many people are not not ready for retirement right right well I don't have the empirical data to support this I think it's a safe assumption to to assume that people with ADHD are probably even less prepared right um so don't wait, you know, it's, it's ask, ask your friends, ask family members, who do they, who do they work with to, to, uh, um, help them with their finances. Um, and in the chat, Dave actually wrote, um, and he's the one that was giving the, the, the thumbs up to, uh, for Dave Ramsey that some churches also offer these, uh, and they call it, uh, financial peace university. Um, and it says it's well worth it. Um, so that's, that's a great, great tip there. Do you have a final thought on, on that? I was going to set, go in a completely different direction with compounding interest, but we don't have to. Does it have to do with snow? It has to do with kids. No, I have to go there. Right. So, <laughs> so, or do the you? The compounding interest with kids, right, is when kids are little and they push back, right, and they're trying to like, they're trying to see how far they can push you, and you don't want to deal with your screaming child, so you kind of like let them have the thing <laughs> that they want all the time. The compounding interest of that is that when they're a teenager, they're a nightmare. But if you sort of set clear boundaries when they're five, the compounding interest of that is when they're eight, things are not that difficult because you have clear boundaries. And that continues on until they're a teenager and in college and all that stuff. So that's why you want to nail that stuff down as early as you can because they're just going to challenge you less, which doesn't mean you should be mean about it, just be be like reasonable but set clear boundaries for your kids and as they age it gets easier because if if you don't you wind up hiring someone like me so i have a uh, i have a question um so i think i'm gonna i'm gonna ask the last question true do you think harry potter has adhd um no i don't i think harry potter is a child of neglect i think the weasleys have adhd but i think harry potter um is the victim of trauma and mm. it's presenting like ADHD, but he actually is a kid who's been severely traumatized because he lived under the stairs. Mm. There's nothing in his family history that indicates to me that he would have ADHD. Mm. Interesting response. So I, I, I had to ask this question because like, <laughs> you know, I, I, so last month I started uh, uh, getting it. I started fell on my first, I'm like, you know what? I always read nonfiction. Let me just, I'm going to listen to the first Harry Potter book. Mm-hmm. And this, I think this was actually started three weeks ago and I'm in the middle of the fourth book right now. Wow. Yeah. It's, um, I'm surprised at how much I like it. Yep. It's good stuff. Oh, it's, it's, it's really good stuff. The, the character development it's, but I was wondering that, uh, this morning when I was, when I was working out and, you know, he's getting ready for his, uh, the, the champion, um, uh, those, those matches and like he yep. procrastinated like for a really long time. Uh, waited to the last minute to to get started on stuff, um, and it seems like he's always seeking out like you know high risk types of things. Uh, he's always so curious to, to understand um, things that maybe he shouldn't even he isn't supposed to know. So he's always pushing the, the boundaries, um, and he's quite intuitive. And so I was just thinking, there's a lot of ADHD there, but but I, but okay. I, I don't. Dis- so yeah, I mean it's it's interesting. I, I, I mean, I see what you're saying, but I, I chalk it all up to trauma. Mm. And I look at the Weasleys and the Weasleys, absolutely. ADHD is everywhere in that family. And do you think Butterbeer is alcoholic? I think Butterbeer is a real, real thing. I don't think it's Is alcoholic. it really? I think so. Oh. Um, I might be wrong about that. <laughs> but you didn't expect I, I, for the, this turn to, to happen in the last <laughs> moment of the podcast. <laughs> I took oh, that to be like an actual thing from Britain that I had just never heard of. Oh, Jessica <laughs> says it's slightly alcoholic. Okay. All right. No, this this is this is fun. It, it was uh, it, it's fun to to uh, you know do things that are sort of outside the the norm because one of the one of the themes of of uh, this year that that I have been um, actively uh, engaging in is the idea of diversifying joy by scheduling joy and you know I, and I not intentionally but I think that listening to Harry Potter books would fall under that because I'm, I'm, I've been amazed at how much I'm just enjoying listening to these stories. Um, yeah. So 
Brendan, thank you once again for uh, for joining me for the live Q and A. Um, thank you everyone who uh, who asked questions. I'm sorry that we did weren't able to get to everyone's question, um, but we do this every single month on the second Tuesday of the month. Um, so we'll hope to see you back here next month. Yeah. All right. Thank you very right. much. Thank you. This is Eric Tibbers. Thank you for listening and congratulations for making it to the end. ADHD Rewired is more than just a podcast. We are a community focused on learning, growing, and connection. The website is ADHDrewired.com. You can find summaries and additional resources for each episode. Learn more about the ADHD Rewired Coaching and Accountability Group and sign up for my email newsletter to get exclusive content that you won't get anywhere else. It's all at ADHDrewired.com. Support ADHD Rewired and help replenish our coaching group scholarship fund by becoming a monthly patron at patreon.com slash ADHD Rewired. Different levels of support get different perks. You can give just a buck or three or five bucks a month or more. Every little bit helps. And it's an awesome way for you to let me know that you value this show the community, and everything else we do. That's patreon.com slash ADHD Rewired. You can follow me on Twitter at Eric Tivers. Subscribe to ADHD Rewired on YouTube to see select interviews and other videos I've made. The ADHD Rewired community is now a secret group on Facebook, so that's one less reason to not just be a passive listener, but to be an active member of our community. Fill out our short screening form at our website, ADHDrewired.com. We screen everyone before they join. Podcasts change lives. You can make a difference in someone's life by spreading the word about this podcast. Mention it in your online communities or on Facebook, Twitter, Reddit, Quora, or wherever you hang out online. And be sure to share it with your friends, your family, your clients, as well as your coaches, therapists, and doctors. If you're a member of Chad or any other ADHD support group, be sure to tell them about this podcast. You can even show them how to download it on their phone or even do it for them. And if you really love this episode, please hit share on your podcast player. I'm only one person and I count on you to help me spread the message. One of the biggest things you really can do to support this podcast and to help other people discover it is to leave an honest rating and review on the Apple Podcast app or on Stitcher or any other podcast app that supports and accepts ratings and reviews. Looking for more ways to listen and learn? Get a free audiobook and a 30-day free trial at Audible by going to audibletrial.com slash ADHD Rewired. Need some ideas on where to start other than Brene Brown's Gifts of Imperfection, Daring Greatly, Rising Strong, or her six-hour recorded workshop, The Power of Vulnerability? Then I would recommend The One Thing by Gary Keeler. Oh, and if you by any chance know Brene Brown, please let her know how grateful I am for all of her work and what she means to me and the ADHD community, and that she's welcome on my show anytime. And in the one in like 7 billion chance that Brene, you're listening, please come and be a guest. Thanks. This is Eric Tivers reminding you, keep learning, keep growing, and keep connecting. And no matter how hard it all feels, Remember, we can do hard things. Until next time.